Oh god, I, what's his name again? World famous Dutch soccer player. Uh, narrow down a bit more. Ruud Gullit? I don't know. Uh, Van Basten. Van Basten. Marco Van Basten. Uh, Marco Van Basten. Van Basten. It's Friday, May 7th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Flag Protocol Expert. And with me today is Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and 50 Plus Watcher. Yeah, not much had happened uh, this week, so we were very happy that at least some juicy stuff uh, uh, happened. And of course, this comes from 50 Plus. So, uh, Inevitably, Gordon, it comes from 50 Plus. Yeah, the, the wonderful thing about 50 Plus, of course, is that keen observers of Dutch politics will remember that 50 Plus had uh, I think it was four seats or was it five before the election four um, or five I, I think, think five yeah, yeah. In, any, in any event uh, they went down to one seat and of course the joke that went around at the time was that well at least a party's one MP can't split yeah. but guess what's happened this week <laughs> <laughs> They split. 50 plus a split. Yeah, there's an internal row within the one MP party, 50 plus. Remember, it does still have um, senators as well. But uh, the yeah. uh, Liana Dunhan, who was appointed as a leader of 50 plus uh, after the departure of Hank Kroll, um, although I think there was another leader in between as well, wasn't there? Um, mm, yes, yes, but she didn't want to be the uh, the Leistrecker, so she didn't right. want to do be the front runner of the in the, at the election. So they brought yeah. in uh, another one. Uh, I think it was she was more or less an outsider, wasn't she? Uh, I don't think she had any affiliation with the party until she became the 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 the, the new faction leader. No, so in um, many cases she yes no so in many ways she was a, an appropriate successor to Hank Kroll, who had no interest in um, <laughs> uh, in, in, in like seniors politics uh, until he became leader of Fifty Plus. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and now she decided to. She, so she's been on the job for what is it? Uh, uh, well, about three less months. Than three. Well, yeah, okay, but she became an MP um, March thirtieth, so yeah. little over a month, and uh, she decided to uh, to 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 quit the party and uh, and continue as her as as a, as an independent MP. Uh, yeah. She 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 cut all ties with uh, with the fifty plus party, and my theory is that she uh, was brought in as an outsider. She thought, oh, I'm just gonna fix everything, and then she uh, realized what kind of mess the party is, <laughs> and she just uh, she just yeah. thought, well, this this can't continue, uh, and this is just the best time for me to 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 quit ties with the party and go on as an independent MP because you know now she has four more years to work on her profile as uh, as a new party leader and maybe she will start her own party and uh, 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 she she just decided to um, speed up the uh, inevitable thing and that was <laughs> that she was going to quit anyway yeah she, she quit the party before anybody else could basically although yeah. of course there are no other MPs to quit but yeah now, now 50 plus uh, is down to zero seats and uh, Leanne Han is is her own faction and I think it's possibly a record for the for the, the the earliest after an election that an MP has has Ooh. set up as a one-man uh, fraction is it I don't know could be one could person be. one woman faction I should say um I guess I, it's all uh, followed no you, you what no I I was trying to remember uh an example but I can't really so yeah it might might as well be a record indeed yeah I mean it is in just over a month or six weeks I think after the election that this has happened. So it's, it's pretty yeah. fast work. And this all followed um, the, the leak of um, the, a damning analysis of uh, 50 Plus's election by Leonard and Han, in which he basically said that it was everyone else's fault but not hers. 
and yeah. the whole party um, membership uh, were, were undermining her and undermining the party program. Um, and uh, Newsier, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, this feature on Newsier on uh, Wednesday night, and they said the report had been leaked. And then they went straight to an interview with uh, the veteran chairman of the party, Jan Nachel, who was extremely highly critical of uh, Leanne and Han and said that her analysis was completely off and he didn't recognise um, the, um, uh, the, the, the the picture that she'd uh, painted in in, in 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 this assessment. So, which left me wondering, who could possibly be the person who leaked this report to New Zealand? Hmm. <laughs> who could it be? Who yes. could it be? I think Jan Nagel is the is the sort of the Machiavellian uh, schemer behind the scenes of of fifty plus for well, when he, I think he 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 actually founded the party. Uh, but mm. whenever he is involved in anything, fights break out, and uh, yeah, I think he is the reason why fifty plus was uh, uh, is the party that it has become in the first place. This party of fighters and uh, and uh, internal struggles and uh, um, MPs that quit and then come back and uh, yeah Jan Nagel is the reason why 50 plus is 50 plus I yeah, think yeah but it's joyous for all the rest of us to watch and of course I mean, yeah, and Jan Nagel seems to have a track record of recruiting people to, to the party who then stir up fights and yeah. uh, and, yeah, and, and and cause members to break away Right, exactly. so and it was just wonderful to see. First of all, so Leanne Dunhan writing this report that said it's everyone else's fault but not mine, and then of course Jan Nagel, who said, "Well, it's all her fault," and completely yep. disowning the fact that he was the person responsible for her becoming party leader in the first place. Yeah, so um, 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 fifty plus uh, will probably not come back in the Tweede Kamer, I think, but uh, mm. um, uh, hopefully we will. Uh, the, the 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 Senate faction uh, will continue to have more fights, and we yes, can uh, the, we can all uh, watch it from a distance with an enormous bag of popcorn uh, <laughs> in front of us, and uh, yeah, never a dull moment in the fifty plus party. Indeed. No, indeed, but more implosions coming up, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, they're about as stable as a uh, as the nuclear reactor in in, in the Simpsons, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jan Nagel yeah. is kind of the Homer Simpson of uh, Dutch <laughs> politics. Exactly. Yeah. And you are a flag protocol expert because you pointed out something about the flag protocol that uh, I wasn't aware of, even though I'd written a blog several years ago about the flag protocol and I thought I'd consulted all the literature you, you was to, to consult about it yeah but but you forgot to 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 go to the uh, to the government's website no no, no that, that's exactly where protocol. it went but i missed this ah, detail okay. that you pointed missed out this to detail. me yeah well it was may 4 on may 4th it was national remembrance day and on that day uh, all the, the dutch flags are flown um, uh, half mast but uh, according to the official protocol uh, you can only you you're only allowed to do that um after 6 p.m mm. until sunset um, but uh, whenever you walk around in the city center, uh, 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 you see flags uh, 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 hanging the entire in the Netherlands. But officially, you can on- you're only allowed to do that after 6 p.m. Yeah, or you're only supposed to, because you can actually you, you can flag at any time you want. I mean, you fly a flag exactly. all day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's not a law or, or anything. You, you will not no. be fined. It's just the only thing you will not be fined for. Uh, you, you're allowed to fly whenever you want but, uh, the flag. But uh, uh, yeah, according to the official protocol, uh, it should be after 6 p.m. But um, uh, confusingly, uh, the committee of uh, 4 and 5 May, sort of the official um, organizers of Remembrance Day and of uh, Liberation Day, they called last year uh, people to fly the flag the entire day, um, uh, uh, breaking the protocol. Um, But they asked to do that again this year. So a lot of people think this Mm. is a sort of alteration of the protocol, but it's actually not. It's just a request by this committee. Um, right. but, so, so, um, so, 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 
So it's kind of gedoogd if you yeah. uh, if you put your flag out uh, on the morning exactly. of the fourth of May, which is good because that's what I did, and I put it out in the morning, thinking that was what people regularly did. And I was surprised that there were only like there was only one other flag flying in the street, uh, but no, then no. lots of people put their flags out at six p.m. So they obviously knew better than me. Oh really? Did they? Okay. I was doing that classic thing of the of the, the immigrants do, where where you overcompensate, you see, to, <laughs> to try and fit into the to the native culture. <laughs> yeah. Did Did you bring it back in at uh, at sunset, or did you do? I it did bring it back sunset? in at sunset. No, no, I did, I did it well just before sunset, I think. And then on Liberation Day, actually, I was a bit late. And I brought it in after the sun had set. So slap hmm. on the wrist again, again yeah. for me. Do you have a, st- a street mayor that? Uh uh, keeps track of the p- protocol, or uh, not? Uh, well, if if I have, see, he hasn't raised it with me yet. But uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not, not. I wouldn't still be surprised if there was a knock on the door from the chairman of the FIFA or somebody uh, about my inappropriate flag hanging. I, I, I did get both my Dutch children um, involved in uh, raising and lowering the flag, though. So I was. Hmm. Uh, I thought that was very important for them to participate. Oh, very good. Did you call um, your children a pannenkoek or not? Not this time. Uh, it not has happened time. in the past. But no, I, I didn't call them a pannenkoek and I didn't do it on national television either. Unlike uh, the uh, the NOS, as we're about to hear in this week's Ophef of the Week poll. Yeah, uh, the uh, Ophef of the Week is this time that the Dutch public broadcaster, so not so much the NOS, but the NPO, True, uh, yes. called people who wanted to watch the official ceremony of Remembrance Day a pannenkoek. Uh, which is probably the worst insult you will uh, you can ever get in the Netherlands, uh, translated to a pancake. Um, wasn't it uh, Marco van Basten when he was a trainer for Ajax? Um, they lost a very important game at some point, and there was this fan that was uh, 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 yelling from the audience um, at him, calling him a uh, a pannenkoek. <laughs> it's a very famous famous scene in in Dutch football history. It's the worst insult you can ever get in the Netherlands. So, I will look up the uh, the uh, a video on YouTube. We will link it in the liner notes. It's a it's a it's a it's a iconic moment in Dutch football history. <laughs> But Remembrance Day is, of course, held every year on May 4th uh, with commemorations at war memorials all around the country. And, of course, the two minutes of silence uh, that are held at 8 p.m. to remember all those who died in World War II and in war situations and peacekeeping missions thereafter. Uh, The national ceremony is held on Dam Square in Amsterdam where King Willem-Alexander and Queen Maxima lay a wreath at the National Monument. Just like last year, Dam Square wasn't packed with people joining the King and Queen in the two minutes of silence, but only a hundred or so in invited guests were allowed on the square. Uh, The ceremony was broadcast by the public broadcaster on TV and the internet, but some people who wanted to watch the ceremony online got a remarkable message. Instead of the live stream, a screen popped up saying, communication error. Pannenkoek! Exclamation point. <laughs> a spokesperson uh, to of th- a spokesperson of the public broadcaster said the message was just a stupid inside joke among programmers and IT people. Uh, we've got reports of the message before and said something about it, but apparently nothing has been done. She said it's unprofessional, especially on a day such as this. Mm. Uh, due to the large number of people tuning in, the system got overburdened and several thousands of people got to see the message. So mm. uh, the positive side is, of course, that uh, a lot of people wanted to tune in and uh, mm. too many people wanted to tune in. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the, that's the positive side of this story. 
Yeah, so so the MPS systems got overloaded, and as a yeah. result, uh, yeah. So, so, so once again, it's kind of uh, the, uh, the is this because the public broadcaster uh, uh, are trying to broadcast on the cheap. Is is this a thing that they actually need to yeah. invest a bit more in infrastructure? Maybe, probably, probably, yeah. yeah. But I think in the end, everybody got to see it, so uh, they probably have a dynamic uh, uh, dynamic capacity system, so you can just uh, uh, increase it whenever it's necessary. But yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, a couple of thousands of people were called upon the cook. <laughs> Yeah, so that didn't go down too well. There's, always, there's often this kind of op for around Remembrance Day. I remember there was an incident a couple of years ago where um, uh, in Amsterdam where um, uh, someone, at the, uh, the tram operator, uh, the, the city's tram operator, what's it called in Amsterdam yeah. again? Café Bay. Café Bay, yeah, the Café Bay um, uh, decided that because of the, they have a reduced tram service on Remembrance Day, so they decided yeah. to just put out a dummy tram to sort of test a few routes. But unfortunately, and, and they decided what they should do is to make sure so that people knew it wasn't an actual tram. They didn't wait for it at the stop, so they put up a number that wasn't used. So they decided yeah. to run it as a Line 8 tram, which is a bit unfortunate <laughs> on Remembrance Day because, of course, Line 8, yeah. for those who yeah. don't know, was the tram line that was used to transport the Jews, and that's the reason it's no yeah. longer used in Amsterdam. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it, it was formally yeah. retired after the war. But someone, some unwitting uh, tram operator, unfortunately, wasn't aware of this. And so there was, people around Amsterdam were tweeting all day that they spotted a, like a ghost number eight tram running around the city centre. And that obviously was, you know, uh, Pretty uh, seems a little indeed. bit distasteful. Yeah. But. Yeah, 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 but uh, but yeah. Luckily, it was just an honest mistake, but nonetheless yes. uh, awkward indeed. This week, Health Minister Hugo de Jonge did the unthinkable and listened to the experts of the outbreak management team. Uh, the Netherlands commemorated the victims of World War II and celebrated its liberation from Nazi Germany by cooking disgusting soup. And the Partij voor de Dieren in Rotterdam is mad at cows for taking a dive in the river. But first, this week's coronavirus news. And, uh, well, there isn't really any, except that it's still going extraordinarily badly. Uh, the government scrapped a press conference planned for this Monday, where it was due to announce further relaxations of the lockdown rules. Uh, but that's because the virus has had other ideas and they can't relax the rules anymore. Infections are still above 8,000-7,000 thousand a day. There are more than 2,500 people in hospital and 800 in intensive care. To nobody's surprise, the Cabinet's decision to ignore the advice of the outbreak management team two weeks ago... Uh, which was to wait until the numbers have started going down, has come back to bite them. So this week, Hugo de Jonge decided to listen to the OMT after all, although he blamed everyone else for ignoring the rules that he'd uh, been, been, been busy uh, tearing yeah. apart. So museums, zoos and gyms now won't open until May the 18th, at the earliest, and the OMT has said the next step shouldn't be taken until hospital numbers are 20% below their peak, which would be around 2,200. And the experts have also said the field lab experiments should be put on hold until the rules can be relaxed further. And I understand there was also a heated debate in Parliament about the test for entry plans. Yes, uh, the government wants to use negative coronavirus tests to open up society further, uh, but basically uh, requiring you to produce a negative test on the door before you go into a museum or an art gallery or, or even uh, go into a bar. But the hospitality industry, the museums and the cinemas have also cast doubt on the plans. They think that asking people to take a test before booking a table or a cinema ticket will just put people off. Um, and that means it's not worth their while. And the kind of evidence for that is that um, only around 60,000 of the 200,000 tickets for the test for entry events so far have been sold. And the Efteling Amusement Park cancelled its open day because so few people uh, wanted to go. Opposition MPs have also said the €7.50 test fee, which is supposed to be imposed from July, uh, should be scrapped because it kind of creates two classes of people, those who can afford a test and those who can't. 
obviously seven euros fifty might not sound a lot, but if you want to go out a couple of times a week, it's going to start adding up. Yeah, or if you or if you have a number of children, then yeah, exactly. Uh, you if also you're going to out with a family of five or six, yeah. Um, yeah, then yeah, suddenly that's going to cost you. You know, six people is going to cost you what uh, forty five euros yeah. before you even ordered a drink. And they queried how long the rules should apply, given that if you believe Hugo de Jonge, everyone will be vaccinated by the start of July anyway. Ja in Twinter, for example, said it should expire at the start of September. But the cabinet said the risk of new mutations, that's the mutations of the virus, not Hugo de Jonge, but who knows, <laughs> uh, meant that the rules should be retained as a backstop measure. I mean, if you if we would take a uh, if we would uh, uh, go to a tanning salon one more time, I mean, I don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't know what kind of abominable <laughs> effects it might have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there was also upheaval about uh, the infamous Remembrance Day poster. Yeah, which we inevitably try to ignore. On we the tried podcast, to ignore but it, but unfortunately, it, it it kind of contaminated the Parliament debate this week. So we, mm. we really have to talk about it because this is the week that Thierry Baudet, for it is he, uh, answered his critics who call him a neo-Nazi poster boy in the only way he could. That is, he produced a neo-Nazi poster. The FAD, in collaboration with Fearless Vanzin and sundry other conspiracy theorists, including Ukuleles for Freedom, which I think is my <laughs> personal favourite among the conspiracy nut groups, they published a poster in red, white, and blue lettering for the May 4th and 5th commemorations, or rather, well, the May the 4th Sorry, commemorations. Sorry, the Ukuleles really. for Freedom, is that a real name? <laughs> yeah, well, they're called Ukas for Freedom, and they are a ukulele band who dispute the coronavirus rules. <laughs> Because obviously, you know, do you listen to the scientists and the immunologists and the people who developed a vaccine in a year? Or do you listen to people who play the ukulele? It's a tough choice. You know, all, all opinions are equal of equal value, right? Anyway, exactly. uh, yeah. this poster in red, white and blue lettering um, they said that uh, the Netherlands should commemorate 75 years of freedom. And of course, the implication was that freedom died in 2020 because people were asked to avoid killing their elderly relatives by giving them a virus. Yeah. But they rounded on his critics. He claimed they politicized the Second World War for years, so why shouldn't he? Prominent among those critics were the Israel Information Center CD, which is a notable choice of opponent when you're trying to uh, dispute claims that your party is riddled with anti-Semitism. Yeah. Other politicians also said the FAD crossed a line. Fefe Day veteran Tom Elias said MPs needed to condemn the poster in Parliament. And during the coronavirus testing debate on Thursday, no less esteemed a person than Wiebem van Hacher, FAD's number two in Parliament, pointedly distanced himself from the poster. He said, quote, it feels uncomfortable, and as far as I'm concerned, it's unnecessary. It's painful for a lot of people and obscures the debate. So when you're being sort of uh, questioned on your principles by Wiebem van Hacher, then I think you really don't have very much of a leg left to stand on. Exactly, yeah. And if I remember correctly, um, the organizations that were listed on this poster, uh, all these organizations somehow had a link with uh, Willem Engel. Yeah, they all led back uh, to Willem Engel. One of them, was, I think, was List 30, which was Willem Engel's um, uh, list of candidates for the election, which got, I think, 0.1% of the vote. And he wanted to take, he, he wanted to go to court to, to, to try and uh, increase that. He even got less votes than Hank Kroll. I mean, yes. if you got, if you get less votes than Hank Kroll, then you should just shut up and, uh, yeah, don't think you have any any sort of uh, uh, foundation uh, 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 or or any sort of platform to criticize. Uh, You're not really rules. in a position to criticize the state of democracy, are you? Yeah. Really, when only not point yeah. one person in a thousand votes for you. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I'm just um, picturing myself the, a, a group of brown shirt FAD supporters uh, marching the cities uh, with a ukulele uh, <laughs> in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of song would you, would they play on their on their on a Nazi ukulele? I don't know. If you, can you play the Horst Wessel Lied on a, on a ukulele? I'm sure. I'm sure it can be done. I'm sure. I'm sure if you challenge them, then they would they would take it up with enthusiasm. 
He will probably call uh, Czech Ballet will probably call on his supporters to 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 compose a uh, a, a a ukulele version of this uh, of this song. <laughs> As we already mentioned, the Netherlands had its annual National Remembrance Day on May 4th, the day before Liberation Day. Uh, on this day, all Dutch victims of World War II, civilian and military, and those of war situations and peacekeeping missions thereafter, uh, are remembered in countless ceremonies across the country. The largest ceremony was held on Dam Square, where uh, the King and Queen, uh, the government and members of the armed forces and others uh, laid wreaths at the National Memorial, followed by two minutes of silence at 8 p.m. Um, other noteworthy ceremonies was the one at the Waldorper Vlakte, the area in the dunes near The Hague, which was used by the Germans as a location to execute civilians and members of the resistance. Uh, I also think that that is the most impressive um, ceremony in, uh, in at the Waldorper the, Vlakte. The, the lighting of the flame. Mm. No, they uh, they ring the bell, don't oh, they? Oh, ring the bell. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always intend to to go there one time. Yeah, I, I agree. Because the, the the commemorations in Amsterdam are always the headline event because the king is there and there's yeah. a memorial to the Jews. But in some ways, I think that the way it's commemorated in The Hague and Rotterdam as well, because of course they were the places that really got directly hit in the, during the war. But are, yeah. are very solemn and impressive. Yeah. Uh, and there was also a, a, a large ceremony at the uh, Gebeberg near Rhenen. That's the site of the uh, where the heaviest fights when uh, Germany invaded uh, the Netherlands uh, took place. Uh, and it's now also the location of the largest military graveyard of the country. So uh, always an impressive ceremony there as well. Uh, all ceremonies were not open to the public uh, uh, as they usually are because of the Corona uh, pandemic, of course. On Dam Square, only 100 invited guests attended the ceremony and uh, and also. So uh, the 19-year-old spoken word artist Amara van der Elst spoke of uh, wounds beneath the skin uh, that do not heal in a uh, well-received performance. Yes, she did a very impressive job, I think. Mm. Um, comedian and actor André van Duin spoke in a moving speech about growing up in Rotterdam in the aftermath of World War II. Uh, as you already said, the complete city center of Rotterdam was bombed on May 12, 1940 by the uh, Luftwaffe, uh, and that prompted the Dutch surrender following threats of, uh, by the Germans to bomb other cities as well. Yeah. Uh, Van Duin also said it was the first time he was present at Dam Square on Remembrance Day, despite living for living in Amsterdam for years. Usually he'd go to the Homo Monument nearby, uh, describing it as a symbol of our freedom, uh, the freedom that everyone can be themselves. Yeah, there was a lot of criticism about the choice of Van Duin as a speaker before the ceremony, but he, it turned out to be a very good choice because he gave a really personal, moving speech and I think yeah. it was pretty well received. Yeah, and uh, I, I didn't really understand that criticism because, uh, you know, he is a comedian, but he has proved himself over the years to also be a, um, a, a, a not only a very shallow comedian, but also as someone who can give emotional speeches. and mm. Yeah, as so a really moving uh, public, public speaker. And so, yeah. yeah, so I didn't really understand that criticism, but he, uh, yeah, he proved them wrong. His, his, his uh, contribution was very moving indeed. Yeah. And uh, what were the highlights of the, the following day, Liberation Day? Yeah, May 5th, uh, the Netherlands celebrated its liberation from Nazi Germany in a uh, yeah, dress-down form. Uh, traditionally, the Prime Minister lit the freedom flame in Wageningen in front of Hotel de Wereld, where Germany signed its capitulation and surrender to the Canadians on May 5th, 1945. Uh, the traditional military parade was cancelled uh, due to the pandemic, of course, but historical warplanes did make flyovers over the city. Uh, the traditional freedom concert and festivals were replaced by online events. Uh, people 
were also urged to make a special freedom soup based on seasonal vegetables with curry powder and coconut milk and to share it with neighbors. I uh, completely missed this uh, missed this call. Uh, mm. I, I looked at the recipe and I wasn't very tempted to make it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have to admit, it's it all sounded very disgusting uh but okay um and also in keeping with dutch culinary tradition i think yeah that's right that's right uh that's right i uh, make something really horrible yeah uh, i mean they should have if if they really um uh were making a uh, a reference to the to the war they should have uh, called on people to make uh, soup with of of tulip um, snert with tulip bulbs yeah exactly i don't know how it could make it it couldn't be any worse than the 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 the, the traditional snert um no it it wasn't uh it was very tempting that soup um so i'm glad my neighbors didn't share it with me i have to admit um the traditional floating concert on the amstel river in amsterdam was also cancelled uh, and instead replaced by a low-key event in the foyer of the carré theater yeah and in the hague there was a, a historic moment because uh, the german chancellor angela merkel uh, was uh, d- d- took part remotely in the um in the ceremony Indeed. Yeah, I don't think she made any disgusting soup, but she did give the traditional May 5th speech. Um, Angela Merkel spoke by video link from Berlin, saying that she was very grateful for the invitation to give the address. She said the invitation was a special sign of friendship between the Netherlands and Germany. Uh, And in her speech, she spoke about the survivors of death camps. And also uh, she also mentioned Anne Frank. Uh, She described the uh, immeasurable suffering that people had to endure. And she said nothing can fill the empty space left by people who have been murdered. Nothing can take away uh, the loss and pain of the survivors, but keeping their memory alive is Germany's eternal responsibility. And she also spoke about the corona pandemic, which was the first time since World War II that uh, fundamental freedoms were restricted. But Merkel said this can only be justified if these measures are temporary and based on the understanding that freedom also brings responsibility, for example, to public health. yeah, and she also said we must uh, resolutely oppose all forms of anti-Semitism and racism and hate or hostility to certain groups. Uh, and uh, yeah, as you said, it, was, it wasn't the first time a German spoke in the Netherlands on Liberation Day, but it was the first time it didn't cause ophef. Uh, yeah. In 2012, the German president uh, Joachim Gauck held the May 5th speech in Breda, and that led to opposition by several organizations of veterans and Holocaust survivors who thought it was distasteful that a um, German president German head of state uh, would give such a speech. But this time there was a, a Holocaust survivor in the very small audience um, at the um, uh, the Gemeente Museum in The Hague, uh, which was uh, Eva Weil, who, uh, who, who was in the um, concentration camps as a girl and now uh, goes, to, goes around Dutch schools teaching children about her experiences and about the Holocaust. So I thought that was a good touch. And also I think what was interesting is because it was Merkel, of course, remember she grew up in East Germany, not just in Germany. Yeah. And so she actually has... Unlike some politicians we spoke about earlier, and not going to speak about <laughs> again, she actually has a personal memory of living in a dictatorship, and she mentioned that in her um, in her discussion after her speech. You know that she she's asked about the Corona pandemic. She said she, she remembered uh, she was very conscious because she she had actually uh, grown up in a society where your freedom was restricted, that you don't take these decisions lightly, but that it's done in the interests of people's health. Um, exactly, yeah. And of course, she also said it was very important to keep the names of the f- people who do fight for freedom um, in re- repressed societies alive. And she said that it was a very important thing when she was in East Germany that uh, the people who uh, led the resistance uh, to the, the Erich Honecker uh, government uh, were remembered in West Germany and were continue to be remembered after the Berlin Wall came down. 
So I think because of that, I think you know that that, that made Merkel, I think, a very good choice of uh, of, of person to talk about um, uh, you know, the, the freedom and the legacy of the Second World War. Because of course, the whole East German state was one of the was one of the consequences of the Second World War and the Cold War that followed it. Indeed, yeah, and I think uh, it's definitely a speech uh, worth watching back if you um, uh, understand German. I think it was uh, uh, subtitled in Dutch. I'm not sure if if there is an English version of the speech, uh, but it's uh, it's definitely worth uh, watching it back. I think. Uh, that's also the case for the speech by André van Duin and Amara van Els, I think. Speaking of historic gestures of friendship, the Dutch News Podcast now has 99 very special patrons. Really? Right, yes. Oh, nice. We have 99 patrons, uh, but uh, Angela Merkel is no, ain't one, I suppose. <laughs> we are, as ever, extremely grateful for your support, which enables us to keep you up to date on the latest Dutch news, politics and vaccination success. Heck, a guy can dream. <laughs> as ever, we give a shout out to all new patrons on the podcast as a gesture of thanks and encourage you to hit us with your questions about anything to do with life in the Netherlands. This week we say hello and welcome to Enrique Gutierrez. Enrique is from Mexico, moved to The Hague to study and is now working here. So thank you very much for your support, Enrique. And also our thanks are extended to two other new patrons this week, Adam Novik and to Robert Dank. It's a very, uh, it's a very good name to be grateful for. Robert yeah, Dank. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, special thanks to you, Robert. If you'd like to become a podcast sponsor for as little as one euro a month and propel our R number into three figures, log on to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash Dutch News NL. The Netherlands' biggest online retailer, Bol.com, has been conned out of 750,000 euros after falling for a fake bank scam. Bol.com paid the money to a bank account in Spain that believing it belonged to household product supplier Brabantia, who sell bin liners and uh, bins and various other things. Uh, on, but but uh, aren't, they based in the, they, aren't they based in the Netherlands? Yes, they are. But uh, yeah. they, 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 they supposedly sent an email saying they moved their banking uh, operations to Spain. Which doesn't uh, make any sense. I mean, if you, sense, are, but, uh, if you are a no, large nobody... company and you want to avoid taxes, then the Netherlands is the place to be. Yeah, but unfortunately, nobody in um, Bold.com's accounts department bothered to query this. So hmm. the emails from Babantia informing Bold.com that it had changed its bank, sure enough, were sent by fraudsters using a cloned email address. Pre- pretty <laughs> old, uh, rudimentary um, uh, online scam, basically. Yeah. The payments were made in two installments in December 2019 and January 2020. Two installments. So how did this embarrassing situation come to light? Well, because when the real Brabantia accounts department uh, contacted uh, Bol.com to say why haven't we been paid, uh, Bol.com refused to pay up. They said Mm. Brabantia should have done more to secure their email account and they couldn't be held liable. So Brabantia took them to court. Of course. Bol.com argued that the emails are credible because they were well laid out and carried the Brabantia logo. (laughs) However, the court published the documents with the signatures removed, and while they did indeed have a Brabantia logo at the top, that was really where the credibility ended. (laughs) Because the body of the email was a really badly worded mangle of Dutch and English. Uh, My favourite sentence, I think, was this one. It said, Fortan Moten, not Moten, Moten, Fortan Moten, all incoming betalingen have been overgemaakt naar onze filiale rekening in Spanje. We should, we should, we should turn this into a song with the ukulele um, music on it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, yeah, this is uh, how, nobody should fall for this indeed. No, I mean, this is kind of a thing that, you know, I, I, I think my, uh, yeah, I think like anyone over the age of 10 would spot this was not Dutch. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and it was probably a scam. 
So the judges threw Bod.com's objections into a shiny Brabantia bin, <laughs> and the online retailer will now have to pay court costs of €11,000 on top of the outstanding debt. Oh, wow. This is an outstanding story indeed. It reminds me of, um, I think it was uh, Pate Cinemas in, uh, in yeah. the Netherlands. <laughs> they got an email from... I think it was France, uh, or, or at least they, the email claimed to have to be coming from the French headquarters, saying that they were going to take over another uh, cinema firm and that they needed uh, some cash money from the Dutch branch. And yeah. uh, they sent an email with a um, IBAN number attached to it and uh, with the request to transfer a certain amount of money. That and the Dutch branch just did it, and uh, mm. it was it was also a scam. And was it, was it uh, something like was a gone. one and a half million euros or something like that? It was, it big, was quite a amount of money. Amount of, yeah. yeah, it was a substantial amount of money, and uh, yeah, the money was gone. Yeah, not very reassuring how easy uh, people can uh, can scam these uh, these huge companies. Um, I'm almost tempted to uh, to 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 send a similar email to Dutch News uh, <laughs> to see how much money I can uh, get from them. Yeah, That's no, I, no, no, do I don't think you could, I don't think you would you manage to get that much money out of Dutch News. Mm-hmm. A, I, I will be, find a way. I will find be. a way. <laughs> or maybe I should send an email to KLM. Yes, that would be good. Yeah, they would have even less money than Dutch News, I think. At the moment, it seems they would. Yes, yeah. uh, given the, the, the current state of their accounts. Airline Air France Killem booked a bigger than expected loss of 1.5 billion euros in the first three months of the year, with passengers' numbers down 75% on the same period in 2020 when the coronavirus pandemic hit. The flag carriers transported just 4.8 million passengers in the first quarter as travel restrictions continued. In the same period last year, 18 million people used the airline. Air France was given a new 4 billion euro support package by the French state in early April. April, partly in the form of new shares, but nothing has been agreed about KLM, uh, that's uh, the Dutch branch. Uh, those talks have been complicated by the European Commission demand that KLM hand back takeoff and landing rights at Schiphol in return for any future bailout. Uh, Air France had to return 18 slots at Paris or Lee. Uh, last year, the Netherlands and France provided 10.4 billion euros in loans and guarantees to the airline, and KLM is the biggest beneficiary from the NOW wage support scheme in the Netherlands. Despite that, thousands of KLM personnel were fired in the past year. Mm. But if uh, KLM doesn't survive the pandemic, then it doesn't matter, right? Because uh, we can now just uh, travel around Europe uh, by night train. Well, that remains to be seen because several private railway companies are taking legal action against the Dutch state for giving subsidies to state-owned NS to take part in trials for a night train service between Amsterdam and Vienna. They argue that they were not given a fair chance to compete for the night train concession, uh, according to the Financiële Dagblad. Uh, the infrastructure ministry said the objections to the decision had already been submitted by Flixbus, uh, which isn't a train operator, but they um, uh, are fearing uh, that uh, the night trains will... Uh, 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 will take away business from them. Um, sector organizations FNM and AllRail also uh, submitted uh, 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 objections, but they were rejected. Uh, the complaint centers on the UBB Nightjet service due to start this month. Uh, the commercial firms argue that the subsidy is not only unnecessary and a distortion of EU competition rules, but that EU tender processes were ignored as well. The case will be heard on May 19th. The government wants to encourage train services within Europe as an alternative for more polluting short 
flights. Uh, it is unclear how much money the government is putting into the project. And in uh, 2019, when the night train service was first mooted, 6.7 million euros was given as the subsidy uh, figure. Um, yeah, I uh, I always uh, like to go by train to uh, to uh, to destinations. Uh, at least when these are destinations that are not too far away. Uh, do you uh, do you agree, uh, Gordon? Yeah, do you... I much prefer to go by train. Actually, I prefer the pace of going by train. There's not all the stress of um, having yeah. to go to security at the airport and just the general bustle and hanging around at airports. Now, I much prefer to jump on a train where I can and anywhere that's like less than. Because if you actually work it out these days, the amount of time you need to leave in advance to get through security at the airport and then the boarding time, uh, you know, a six-hour train journey um, against like a. Uh, a one-hour flight. Actually, the one-hour flight really is going to take you about four hours, especially if the airport you get to is outside the city. So you're only actually adding two hours to your journey time. It's much, much more relaxed. So Yeah, and I, I, I just like that you can jump on a train in the middle of a city center, and then mm -hmm. a few hours later, you are also in the city center of the city you want exactly, to go to. Exactly, you're banging the city center. You can take more luggage with you. You can actually relax on the way, having something to yeah, uh, eat and drink. I, I went to um, uh, Belgium one time a few years ago, and for some reason, I don't know why, but uh, it, it only cost me an extra 10 euros uh, to go first class. And it was yeah. brilliant because I, I, I consumed about 30 euros worth of stuff for free in the first class carriage that I wouldn't have got in second class. So I actually hmm. kind of made a saving and it was a very relaxed, luxurious journey. Yeah, and especially if you want to go to cities like Vienna or um, uh, uh, you know similar distances, then uh, having a night train option is just uh, is just the best. Uh, the best thing i think so uh i um i uh i hope that uh, they will have more night trains uh, in the future yes yeah, so a long live the night train sports news ajax wrapped up their 35th eredivisie title at the weekend with a 4-0 win over fc emmen after the game 12,000 fans flocked to the stadium to celebrate wave flags and boost the coronavirus r number The players and coach Erik ten Hag sparked Ophef by going out, out onto the balcony and displaying the trophy to the crowd in what Ajax said afterwards was a spontaneous act. Fifteen hmm. people in the crowd were arrested, not for breaking social distancing rules, but for carrying weapons and fireworks. The police said they deliberately not intervened uh, to avoid an escalation of violence, and I'm sure many of the 800 patients in intensive care would have cheered if they didn't have oxygen masks attached to their faces. Hmm. At the other end of the Eredivisie, there was consolation for Emmen as the other clubs, trying to avoid relegation, RKC Valweig, Willem II and VfV Venlo all lost as well. But bottom side Arrow Den Haag kept their faint hopes alive with a 3-2 win over Feyenoord that marked an unhappy homecoming for Dick Advocat. Yeah, poor, poor Dick Lawyer, he was very unhappy with, uh, with this result. Yeah, poor Dick, he was very unhappy, he even uh, briefly talked about quitting, but he's only got three games left, he's promised he'll, uh, he'll retire at the end of the season, which means mm, that he'll be back again. next year. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Sure. yeah. And one Dutchman across the Atlantic celebrated uh, Bevrijdingsdag in style, didn't he? Yes, uh, Didi Gregorius, or Didi Gregorius uh, hit a Grand Slam home run as the Phillies beat the Milwaukee Brewers on Wednesday. He struck the ball into the crowd with all four bases occupied, which is worth four runs to the home team, and that turned out to be the winning shot in a 5-4 victory. It's the eighth Grand Slam in the shortstop's career. The 31-year-old was born in Amsterdam, spent most of his childhood in Curaçao, but he was spotted by a scout for the Cincinnati Reds during an under-18s tournament in The Hague. Hmm. So, just to, just to show you, 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 kids playing baseball in The Hague today could be um, yeah, <laughs> hit, hitting home runs uh, in Philadelphia in 15 years' time. Yeah. Uh, his first name is Marikson, but Americans found that too hard to pronounce, so he usually goes by the nickname Didi. And in his spare time, he sends emails from Spanish banks to gullible Dutch online retailers. 
<laughs> he doesn't really. Please don't come around my house with your baseball bat, Steve. <laughs> or with or a ukulele. Or a ukulele. Which yeah. which one would be worse? I'd, I think the ukulele. I don't know. Yeah, that, 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 that's a difficult call. Yeah, I think the ukulele would probably be more painful, actually, especially if Tiberius fans are playing the horse vessel lead on it at the time. <laughs> There was almost no news uh, this week, so we have lots of time to talk about all the animal stuff that happened this week. Mm. Uh, researchers at the University of Utrecht investigating the spread of urban pigeons are hoping to pack away at the bird's poor reputation at the same time. Relatively little is known about the urban pigeon, veterinary researcher Vivian Goerlich told RTL News. We want to know the exact numbers and spread of these birds and find out if they are really as much as nuisance as people are claiming. Apart from annoyances like droppings and incessant coups, some people think pigeons carry disease, but Hulich said this is uh, no more likely than with other animals. The chance that you'll catch something from a pigeon is very small indeed. Yeah, you're more likely to catch something from an Ajax supporter than from a pigeon. Very much uh, more likely, I would say. Yeah. yeah. We tend to think of animals that live off waste as filthy, but they're really not. Uh, there are an estimated 40,000 city pigeons in the Netherlands. Earlier research by the university showed that Amsterdam tops the list with 190 pigeons per square kilometer, which sounds uh, way too little, I think. Mm. There are m- many more pigeons in, in Amsterdam, surely. I mean, just look at Dam Square. It's, uh, it's, it's all filled with pigeons. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. There must be more than 190 just, uh, just hanging out outside the station yeah and this number is followed by uh, Rotterdam with 85 per square kilometer uh, Utrecht only has 37 pigeons per square kilometer uh, the Utrecht scientists hope the research will improve the image of the flying rats as uh, uh, they're known in the Netherlands if they are pets people like them and if they live in the streets they think they're dirty I hope our work will lead to a sustainable way of people and pigeons living together well I have a suggestion for pigeons if they want to live in a sustainable way don't shit on my uh, on my bike because <laughs> I I parked my bike in the city center the other day and uh, my saddle was uh, was um, yeah there was, uh, it was it was covered in pigeon shit so e- exactly yeah so you're not a fan of pigeons not at all hmm. um and uh, but also Dutch public officials have done to have got to do their favorite thing this week which is to draw up a list of complicated bureaucratic rules for animals so Indeed. after the whale yeah. protocol and the wolf plan um, what have we got this time. Well, a farmer who was planting seed potatoes had captured the first moving images of a golden jackal in the Netherlands. A farmer, Jan Kolhorn, who managed to whip out his mobile phone in time to film the animal, did not know what exactly he was dealing with. Uh, he thought it was a fox at first and then a wolf, uh, he said, uh, he told broadcaster NOS. But experts confirmed uh, that Kolhorn had seen a golden jackal in what is uh, only the fourth sighting of the notoriously shy animal in the Netherlands until now. A golden jackal was first spotted in 2016 in the Veluwe Heathland, thousands of miles from its usual haunts in North Africa, the Middle East, Southern Asia and the Balkans. Uh, it was unclear at the time if the animal had crossed the border into the Netherlands or more probably escaped or was released from a private zoo, but reports of sightings coming in from um, Denmark, Germany and other European countries make experts think that the animals are coming from Eastern Europe to make their home in Western Europe in increasing numbers. So is uh, is Kevilders going to set up a melt print then if they're coming from Eastern Europe? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Golden jackals are uh, genetically related to the wolf, but are smaller and have a more pointy snout. Uh, They are slightly larger than a fox with a shoulder height of around 50 centimeters. 
Right. And uh, meanwhile, in Rotterdam, there's been an increase in sightings of a very rare species of uh, swimming cow. Yeah, because a floating farm in Rotterdam's harbour have raised concerns about animal welfare after a second cow fell into the water this week. Uh, the local Partij voor de Dieren, which campaigns for animal rights, uh, told Dutch News NL that it had tried and failed to get a majority in the city council to withdraw the farm's operating permit, calling the project madness. In 2019, the experimental farm opened in Rotterdam Harbour, claiming to be the world's first floating platform housing a herd of cows and a dairy and generating headlines around the world. It aims to be sustainable, uh, recycling the animals waste on site and giving an example of urban farming that could produce more food within cities of the future. Uh, but the Partij voor de Dieren, which has long opposed the experiment, has started a social media campaign raising its confirms about animal welfare after a second cow fell into the water and had to be rescued on King's Day. It is, is this going to become a tradition now? You know, like pardoning the turkey at Thanksgiving will now have uh, rescuing the cow on King's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also uh, 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 we also have, of course, the King's Day tradition of uh, throwing a, uh, a toilet seat. So uh, maybe we can combine <laughs> it somehow. Yeah. Um, it is believed that the animal was uh, crossing from the floating platform to a small area of grassland for the cows on the dockside uh, and could not climb out. Emergency services were called in and it took firefighters over an hour to rescue the cow from the water. Uh, Peter van Wingerden, that's, he's the chief executive of Belladon, the company behind the project, said that his cows were doing great and that animal welfare was high on their agenda. He pointed out that cows do fall into the water and have to be rescued by farmers on a regular farmland to uh, as well and yeah he has a point there i, mm. I love the the fact that uh, one of the firefighters was interviewed and he said that um uh, as a, as a firefighter in the in a, in a city he's used to rescuing uh, cats from trees so he was yeah. very happy to have <laughs> the uh, uh to 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 rescue a cow from the water uh, yeah. this one time i think this is so. definitely a step up from rescuing a cat from a tree you know definitely think, uh, yeah. definitely a much more challenging exercise so indeed yeah good to keep your skills sharp but none of those actually is my favorite animal story the week because uh, my favorite animal story of the week is about much smaller animals uh this is about uh, the university of wageningen who are investigating whether they can use bees to detect coronavirus really you've seen this <laughs> yes uh, no they, they, they say they can harness the bees acute sense of smell um to detect the virus and the the the, 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 uh, the startup called insect sense and wageningen bioveterinary research um have been conditioning 150 bees uh, using the Pavlov method. I'm not sure what that is. Do they just feed them lots of cake? I'm not quite sure. Um, but anyway, uh, every time the bees are exposed to the virus, uh, they're given sugar water as a reward. Um, and hmm. they said within a very short time, the bees learnt to detect the scent of the virus. Um, and they, the, the, the results were extremely reliable. They said uh, apparently it takes bees just seconds to identify the telltale smell. They've been uh, testing them on uh, infected mink. Now, obviously, as we know, all the mink farms have been shut down because of the <laughs> spread of the virus. So at least uh, they, they, they haven't uh, they, they, they haven't suffered completely in vain. And subsequent tests using human samples uh, also apparently yielded extreme, uh, equally good results. So if uh, if yeah, if uh, Hukur de Jong's field lab events um, uh, yeah uh, fall through and uh, prove to be as unreliable as they seem to be, then at least uh, we've got a plan B. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we should uh, we should stop this podcast before it uh, <laughs> before it descends into terrible bee puns. Runs out of yeah. hand. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. 
That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. Music